Friday, y'all. We made it. We're here. And this is the sound of black and brown. CJ here. And today we're going to be talking about something that is as old as slavery. And that is reproductive justice. What does reproductive justice mean to you? Well, I'm excited to tell you that in a couple minutes, we're going to have someone joining us who is going to talk to us about that and her work and share with us the background on this very important topic regarding reproductive justice. I mean, Black women, you know, historically have borne the brunt of the racism, the outcome of racism, everything else. And I think that one of the lesser discussed things is the impact of slavery on Black women, but also on reproductive justice. What did that do? How did that affect us? And does it still affect us? So without further ado, our friend from Yale Bleeds is here. A couple months ago, oh, sorry, a couple months, listen to me, a couple weeks. I'm sorry, guys, I'm tired today. I had a long night. <laughs> I was invited to participate in a panel on reproductive justice by Yale Bleeds. And I am so happy beyond excited that one of the queens involved, uh, you know, a young Black empress is with us right now, our friend Jelena. Jelena, how about you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, thank you so much for this introduction um, and all we've done with Yale Bleeds so far. Um, my name is Jelena Laws. I'm a rising sophomore at Yale University. I'm involved with Yale Bleeds, our period club on campus, and I'm really passionate about reprodu reproductive justice and also thinking about more broadly how we can decolonize our landscapes of healing. And so I'm so excited to be on this podcast today and to discuss things that are very important and specifically how these issues are affecting our Black and brown communities. That's amazing. So how about you tell us a little bit about who you are, a little more about that, and what is Yale Bleeds for those who don't know what that is? Uh, yes, so I'll just, I guess I'll begin talking about what Yale Bleeds is. So basically, we are our period advocacy club on Yale's campus. Um, so we do a variety of things from um, fundraising to get menstrual materials um, to kind of collect those mm -hmm. and distribute out to the community, hosting like packing parties where we'll basically like use all the menstrual materials that we get, pack them up, and again, once again, distribute them. Um, out into the community as well as um, providing like menstrual education as well as coming together and talking about different issues that are affecting us regarding menstruation so making sure everybody knows like the different options they have for example whether they want to use like mm -hmm. a tampon a pad a menstrual cup um, knowing like the different options that exist for them and what they feel suits their bodies and their health journeys best um, as well as doing that on the like within the Yale student body as well as within the broader New Haven community is some of the work that we do. Mm -hmm. So it's really about mainly education and access is the two points. That's amazing. I'm, I don't know if you knew I shared this with you. A couple of years ago, I was one of um, the angry Black people who mm -hmm. participated in protesting against, uh, re, uh, in favor of renaming Calhoun College. Because mm, yes. it all started with the dishwasher who saw, you know, Corey Menifee and he saw the pictures of slavery 
in a school that sits in the middle of a neighborhood which comprises of a lot of low to middle income black and brown people undocumented all backgrounds right and this was really something else for me because we would stand out there um between 12 and you know noonish and 1 p.m on a friday and block traffic and one of the things that stuck out to me with that was a lot of the students would walk by and they would say, we support you. I mean, we did get a lot of students part who participated and supported the movement, but also we had a good majority of students and employees who were like, I want to support you, but I know that there's gonna be a clap back if I do. Now saying that, what has been your experience in terms of Yield Leads? Was it well-received? Were there any you know, issues in terms of getting it recognized or participation? Um, I'd say that Yale Bleeds has been pretty well received. I think, especially mm -hmm. talking about what you were saying about like different students and employees who felt a sort of tension about whether they could like engage in this um, struggle to remove Calhoun name from the college. Um, mm -hmm. I think that students possibly more than employees have kind of that space to really like voice their concerns um with the university um, about mm -hmm. various different issues um mm -hmm. i find that students on yale's campus are very adamant and very like sensitive in terms of responding to things that we see that are going wrong um mm. and i think like we have that protection as students, but I don't know that that necessarily extends to all members of the Yale community. Um, right. And I think that like, that's something to kind of dig deep into in terms of like what Yale as an institution is, and then what right. Yale as the people walking around are. Right. Like, even in my first year, right. there's been times where I'm like, okay, there are Yale people who there are some like of the most amazing people I've met so passionate and so like engaged within their communities. And then there's the institution that you kind of have to grapple and fight with. And I think a lot of us are like navigating that, especially when it comes to advocacy and activism and like right. the way that we move through the community um, as Yale students and also the way that we interact with through like the New Haven community as well has been like an mm -hmm. interesting line to toe. Um, mm -hmm. so, yeah, I think that's amazing because I can personally attest to have had a great working rapport with several students and staff. I could say that to this mm -hmm. day, right? Um, I love where you're thinking because the sad part is when I encounter the people who say, see, I would have loved to support that, but you know what I mean? Like there's the invisible, but like, we found that with the whole Calhoun College protest, like mostly staff, like the students were great. You guys are amazing. They were willing to participate in the civil disobediences. They were willing to help us in terms of delivering letters and all of that. But the staff, you could tell they were afraid, like, but it makes sense, right? Because that's your money. So speaking of staff, you know, um, I want to jump onto something here that I'm gonna let all the listeners know in advance. I have a thing, I think 
that this topic here will get our little friend Jelena here going because our friend here, she's very vested in empowering and improving us as a people, right? And in conversation with her before today, we agree, we have to talk about this stuff. We have to talk about this stuff. Now, as part of Black and Brown United in Action, we also do reproductive justice advocacy. And one of the things that I'm looking forward to working with Yale Bleeds and others with is really informing people on their rights, right? Mm -hmm. Because the truth is, um, reproductive injustice as old as slavery. Mm -hmm. I mean, gynecology, we could go back in there. You want to jump in there, Jelena? Yes, of course. Um, do it, girl. <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah, I so, know she was waiting. Do it. Go. <laughs> for context, I actually so I actually study <laughs> the history of science, medicine, and public health in African American mm -hmm. studies at school. So, like, I've written so many papers, sat in so many lectures, mm -hmm. seminars, like just kind of just talking about the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, mm -hmm. talking about slavery, even the onslaught of like. European colonization, the way that mm. racism, mm. <laughs> racist mm -hmm. ideologies emerged, <laughs> are very mm -hmm. deeply entrenched in ideas of reproduction as it pertains mm -hmm. um, to Black women in particular. Um, mm -hmm. And especially during slavery, Black women's bodies were exploited as sites of reproduction for expanding the labor force, especially after you see. Um, this is all throughout the, the Western Hemisphere in which you see sphere occurring. Um, but mm -hmm. if you want to particularly talk about the United States, especially after Ooh. the end you start, of- You start that shit. Talk that shit. Come on, let's go. Let's <laughs> so go. Because people deny it. People yeah, deny it. Like, exactly. They deny it. Yes, Especially go. after the end of the transatlantic slave trade, there becomes- They said that's what the, it, no, let's know. I have a different opinion here. I think mm. they said it ended, but I think if we go find a couple domestic workers and restaurant employees, um, yes, they might yeah. say something different. <laughs> yes, slavery definitely persists in all its different forms to this very mm -hmm. day, and mm -hmm. and reproductive abuses do as well. I mean, we see like the commodification of Black women's wounds in slavery, and that persists to this day in terms of, you know how black women's body bodies are literally tied to monetary values whether that is mm -hmm. during slavery to support a system of slavery and to be profited upon or whether we see mm -hmm. especially following the and we'll call it the quote unquote um end or quote unquote abolition of slavery mm -hmm. um we see mm -hmm. kind of like a shift towards the devaluing i guess you could say of black women's mm -hmm. bodies in terms of now black people are a burden rather than a profit and so the way with black reproduction will be very different so we see a history mm -hmm. of forced sterilizations and different things like that coerced sterilizations among black and brown people in the united states and so mm. our history here is very taut um with every mm. issue we'll we affecting like racism and specifically mm. intersectional forms of struggle um, especially thinking about misogynal, we see like that they're all very tied to reproduction in terms of mm -hmm. the way that reproduction is used as like a, 
a line or a delineation of race. Um, so we mm. see like a lot of a lot of struggle there and a lot of contention there with those histories um, that I think is very important to grapple with as we are talking mm-hmm. about reproductive justice because a lot of our understandings of reproductive rights are very mm-hmm. whitewashed, um, especially in the mm-hmm. mainstream. Um, and I really, there's a book by um, Dorothy Roberts called Killing the Black Body. And I think she really grapples with this history well in terms of tracing from slavery all the way to the present day, um, how Black mm-hmm. women have undergone reproductive oppression. And I, that's why I think reproductive justice is a very um helpful framework for thinking about how women can achieve or anybody who reproduces can achieve um, autonomy Mm -hmm. over their bodies Um, because reproductive justice acknowledges that you have the right to bear children you have the right not Mm -hmm. to bear children and Mm -hmm. if you so decide to bear children then you have the right to raise those children in safe and healthy environments and I think it's a very comprehensive way of looking at you know, this mm-hmm. idea of reproduction that has been such a, a site of oppression and injustice historically, mm-hmm. especially for, for Black people. So, yeah. So for those listening in, tuning in, and just so you know, this is being recorded live, but it will be uploaded afterwards uh, for those who want to, you know, tune in late or, you know, just want to listen to us talk about this some more. That's great. We love it. If y'all thought you just unloaded, I'm about to really get this child going. So I love you so much, Jelena. You know, let's get it going. We got to get these people educated. So here I'm going to read an excerpt from um, what was published in 2019, Black Maternal and Infant Health Historical Legacies of Slavery by Deidre Cooper Owens and Sharla M. Fretz. Now, here's a brief abstract. And I would love your comments after this. sister. Mm-hmm. The legacies of slavery today are seen in structural racism that has resulted in disproportionate maternal and infant death among African-Americans. The deep roots of these patterns of disparity in maternal and infant health lie with the commodification of enslaved Black women's childbearing and physicians' investment in serving the interests of slave owners. Even Certain medical specializations, such as obstetrics, I cannot pronounce that word right now, and gynecology, or adeptus enslaved women who became experimental subjects in the development of the field. Public health initiatives must acknowledge these historical legacies by addressing institutionalized racism, Lord, and implicit bias. Oh, Lord, y'all, she's about to get going. Trust me, I I can hear the... mm, Again, dimmer and dimmer. In medicine, while promoting programs that remedy socially embedded health disparities. Now, y'all, take a breath. I'm going to hand this over to, to the queen here. Break that down to these people so they know what was just said in a... Mm, that was like an anime punch, wasn't it? Bam. Like <laughs> a, a lot of power in <laughs> Yeah. Yes, um, ma'am. Take it away. Yes, so... As we kind of discussed earlier, there's this commodification of Black women's wombs under slavery to kind of reproduce labor force. But there is also a very important history of the exploitation of Black women 
um, mm. as experimental. And I would say objects. I know you sometimes you say subjects, but it's really objects, the ways in which their bodies are being used to kind of bolster. Yeah, because field. they conducted all kinds of studies, right? Exactly, for gynecology. So we have this mm-hmm. father of American gynecology as he is like known or as he has he was known for a while, though there has been like more pushback mm. recently, um, James Marion Sims. Um, and essentially he and he kept like journals of these experiments um, as well. And they were published and then um, they were created by other doctors and just crazy. But um, he conducted experiments on enslaved women um, to kind mm. of. Can you give examples of the type for those who don't know or never heard mm-hmm. of it? Can you just share a little more what that means by experiments? Because I want people to really understand, yeah. you when... know, like this wasn't as simple as, hey, look at the letters over there. Not saying that we hate our, our optometrists. Yes, but yeah. there was some serious shit that happened. So please, we'll dig in there. One of the major surgeries that he um, aimed to perfect on the bodies of enslaved women was vaginal fistula repair. And this is what the like... fuck is that? Would you just call me? <laughs> we just met each other. What is wrong with you? <laughs> yes, where there is a, it's essentially a tear. Um, within a, a woman like it's a yes it was a tear in women's reductive <laughs> and um this was like a very painful surgery as you said this is vag this is vaginal fistula this is a very sensitive area of the body well, but regardless what do you mean by like let, let's get a picture here because we're talking mm-hmm. about going between a woman's legs no and with some real sharp shit like yes right yes do i have it right Mm-hmm. Yes, th- absolutely right. And um, well, I, I, I'd like to ground from the very beginning that um, the first, there are like, so, it's such a insane like experiment and such a harmful and evil and exploitative experiment that sometimes you can overlook like the different levels of exploitation mm. that exist within this one experience. Ooh, so you came on here to preach today. <laughs> you you came on here to talk talk about that. Talk to them. Teach um, them. So mm-hmm. yeah, on the one hand, ideas of consent as it relates to reproduction and as it relates to these experiments that are being conducted are essentially they <laughs> All that our traditional ideas of consent basically fall short here. Um, so on the mm. one hand, this is an exploitation that enslaved women in their position as mm-hmm. enslaved women are incapable of consenting to. So that is already like a degree of violence in the fact that harm is being committed to their bodies um, without their consent. And it is absolutely egregious harm, but I think that it's important to acknowledge that first very seemingly simplistic level of harm Mm -hmm. but then there are Mm -hmm. obviously the very gross and gory details of these experiments as well Um, these experiments were so painful that james marion sims had assistants present with him white male assistants present with him during the surgery and due Mm -hmm. to the screams of these enslaved women they actually left, and the enslaved women were left to hold each other down themselves. Oh my because god! Because it was this painful. 
Um, but wait a minute. We're not surprised. Pause no. right there. Let me stop right there. Let me for those for those listening. Let me tell you why we're not surprised. The first one of the first set of immigrants came on a big ass ship, and they had to lie and tell each other like sardines. Mm-hmm. That was not a cruise, okay? It was painful. Slavery yeah. is embedded in pain because Satan sells and white supremacists, they love that. Who the fuck else will get entertained off of hanging somebody or beating them to death or skinning them alive? These people were ridiculous. And so it's not beyond them. See, they try to make it sound like, you know, we did all these groundbreaking studies. No, 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 no. Read up the history on these studies and who they used and how they used them. Sorry, Jelena, continue. No, yeah, of course. <laughs> but you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is nothing. And the reason, yeah, the reason I'm approaching it this way is because this is obviously a very blatantly violent um, yes this is yeah yes. blatantly violent act but it's rape it was rape yeah it was justified rape that's yes. how i see it, it mm-hmm. but it's not shocking because it it rests no. on a system that is completely founded in violence and instituted by violence and perpetuates violence so this is nothing um it's nothing uh, sadly it's not surprising but you see they don't exactly. want to talk about it and you see now yeah. i'm going to read I'm going to read a quote here from an interview with Deirdre on, mm-hmm. um, this was back in 2020, on um, the brutal roots of gynecology in terms of slavery, mm-hmm. right? And this is by UC Berkeley. And Ms. Owen says in here, when the Constitution banned the international slave trade, there became an issue with how the U.S. was going to maintain and grow its very lucrative system of slavery. The solution was to concentrate on natural increases, which simply meant making sure enslaved women had children mm-hmm. who lived past the age of one, because slavery was a condition that was passed to the child from the, the mother. Yeah. What this did was lay at the feet of Black women an added responsibility to have more children. Now, here's the thing. You and I both know. I'm about to go there. You ready? I know you're there. This is why I get aggravated when black and brown women look at me and they try to say that abortions will kill you. This right here. Because you don't know your truth. What's your thoughts on that, Jelena? I think this is very interesting. I I remember doing a classroom presentation on specifically attitudes towards abortion within the black community. Now, mm-hmm. we have this legacy of enslaved women's wombs being exploited for profit and being subject to conditions that were, by all means, what we would call unhealthy. That is an understatement, but by all means, unhealthy. And that mm-hmm. is not, and we see that continue today with um, maternal health rates among our, yeah, maternal health rates among Black women, and specifically maternal mortality rates among Black women. Mm. Um, I think mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, the history of reproductive oppression with Black women is very complex. There have yes, been um, concerns among the Black community about 
with concerning histories of forced sterilization, for example, about abortion as like race suicide or different things like that. But I think it's important to know that I think it's important to know for one, and to, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to when we're talking about state laws and different things like that, that laws are protecting someone's right to make a choice about their body based on what they believe is best for their health or what they believe is best for their lives in general, what they believe mm-hmm. would suit them. And I think it's mm-hmm. it's very important that we don't try to, or for people who feel that way, that they don't try to impose upon other people, upon the state, a personal belief mm-hmm. that they're having. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that like, I'm not saying about anyone's personal beliefs or what they should be necessarily for themselves. Right, you're not their, their conscience. Body, right? If you if you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it. But, but if somebody other people's right rights to right. do so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting. But I will say also when it comes to the idea that abortion will kill you, abortion unhealthy unregulated abortion Mm -hmm. will kill you and those rise Mm -hmm. in relation to certain bans that are going on in our country right Mm -hmm. if you are a low income um you are a low income person who has become pregnant and you don't means to travel to a state where you can get an abortion um you don't have a means Mm -hmm. to or you're not in the place, regardless of what those means might be, to support um, a child at that time, you may go to the next feasible option for you, which would be to get an unregulated abortion, to get an unsafe abortion. And that really could kill you. That really could kill you. And mm-hmm. we see statistics about that. And we see statistics of even um, Black women who choose to birth. Um, mm-hmm within our regulated health system that are subject to racism and Mm -hmm. medical racism and discrimination who are living in the legacies of the same lies about black women's bodies that allowed James Marion Sims experiments to persist about susceptibilities to pain and about racial difference between black and white bodies. Um, they're mm-hmm. subject to that. And we also see devastating fatal results in that manner. So I think it's really important to put the autonomy and to put the choice and the agency in the hands of the person who will be doing the birthing rather than try to impose personal beliefs, whatever they are, you are protecting a very individual, a very personal, a very intimate right for that mm-hmm. person. Um, you know, I'm, I love that you mentioned that because I, you know, I grew up in Trinidad Tobago and mm-hmm. I went to an all girls high school mm-hmm. myself. I'm a survivor of um, sexual assault. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it wasn't the best way to lose my virginity, but it happened. I'm here to talk about it. Mm-hmm. What I'll tell you is out of that, I became pregnant and at at the age I was, I was a teenager, terrified. Now I think that I did something wrong. It's already terrifying to be in that position. What I found out years later is what some of my friends, people, I didn't even know they were doing it, the stuff they would do to themselves when they thought they were doing it. 
I mean, you're talking about hangers. You're talking about Guinness, hot Guinness being inserted. You're talking about some aunt of somebody who does things at this place. At You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you're talking about prayer circles. Like, it, it was all of it. So I really appreciate your identifying that, you know, it's not that we're telling you everybody go run outside and have an abortion. It's just that really this conversation about abortion rights, in my opinion, is about the safety, right? Um, because there are people who are doing some real harmful things to themselves. And there's also the point of, if I keep the baby, the mental wellness and health impact, do I not have a right to protect myself? Do I not have the right to decide that maybe I don't want this yet? Why are we shaming our people, right? Now, mm-hmm. if you grew up in the type of environment where you're against it and you, you, know, you want to have your baby, that's fine. But to me, don't talk the other person out of exercising their choice and rights. That's what I think on that. What do you think? I mean, you already said it, but I feel like we're saying the same thing, yeah. you know, I mean, right. Like, like that's what it is. And what I get frustrated with, cause I also used to go in front of Planned Parenthood years ago. And um, on a Saturday, I used to join a couple of comrades when they would be protesting um, against the anti-abortion people. I mean, these people would show up with pictures of fried chicken that ass. this thing will look like a chicken strip. And they're trying to tell people, well, if you go into Planned Parenthood, this is what your fetus is going to look like. So it's the mis- the continual miseducation, I feel, of reproductive justice. It manifests itself in different areas. Also, too, when Black and Brown United in Action, last um, legislative session, when we were working on the menstrual equity bill, mm-hmm. one of the interesting things I came across out of nowhere, because I knew it was there, it was one of those things that I knew was there, but I hadn't had to really think about it were people who were against using tampons and menstrual cups because rather than you know have a safe healthy period and change their you know their menstrual product regularly right they would rather use a pad so that they could stand up wherever they're working for hours now if you dig into that now you know who else thought that they had to use a rag or whatever they could find just so they could continue working? Slaves. It all goes back to slavery, Jelena. It all goes back to that mentality goes right back to slavery. Whether you support abortions, whether you don't, whether you believe in, in you know certain health practices or not, you'll find that slavery is going to come up. You can't, you know, you can't run away from that. But I feel like us as black and brown people, we need to talk about that because I feel like some of us let go of our internalized fear because that fear, some of it is passed down. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? I agree. I think coming reckoning like with this history of this violence against um, black bodies, I think that we definitely live in a legacy of that and I think sometimes we perpetuate it onto ourselves or perpetuate it onto others in our community mm-hmm. I think that a lot of stigmas persist as it relates to menstrual health and reproductive health um 
I think there's a lot of taboos in terms of how we talk about this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, there's like a stereotype that is a lot of times imposed upon Black women and girls about um, like this idea of adult- adultification or hypersexualization that, you know, um, Black girls will like are more secure than like white girls, for example, or something like that. And that affects the way that you talk about your sexual health or that mm-hmm. or that black women's sexual health is talked about by others. Let's not say that. And I find mm-hmm. like in my experience, I have seen as a sort of resistance to that hyper sexualization. There is a, a sort of, oh, let's be like hush hush, you know, about these very important topics um, about our menstrual health, about our reproductive health. And what mm-hmm. happens when you have that sort of attitude, let's be quiet about it, let's not talk about it, let's keep our heads down, let's mm-hmm. say only what needs to be said, um, mm-hmm. then that creates a kind of void where misinformation can persist. And where mm-hmm. through the lack of open, honest conversations about our mm-hmm. bodies, um, we allow misconceptions and lies to be planted and and to grow and to become these very Mm -hmm. large things that actually perpetuate harm in our communities so i think Mm -hmm. that we're definitely living in a legacy of that and i think honestly the way to break that is like one very open honest conversation but then also our communities need resources we need access yeah to Yes, the products we need, for example, or like anything we need regarding reproductive health, mental health, we need mm-hmm. access to those because our communities are can be very deeply under resourced. So it's important to yes, what we say with what what what, what is we said do with the actions is exactly what we do. Yes, because yeah. when we worked on the menstrual equity bill, man, there was stuff that unfortunately I knew it was there, but it's just like you hear the stories. You know, um, hearing the stories of the women who live in shelters and what they would have to go through during their period, right? Or the women in jail who take one tampon and they have to make that into mini tampons. What happens when you have a heavy flow? What do you do, right? And then they're using cloth. They're creating, you know, cloth tampons, which is fine, but they're not sanitary because where are they washing these things? It, it, it's not like these folks can go use, you know, the laundry mat around the corner. That's not how jail works, right? Mm-hmm. Or back to the shelters, you go to the shelter and you're having a heavy period and it ran out of, of, you know, menstrual product in the middle of the night. What do you do? What do you do? Well, how about our sex workers? Don't they deserve to have access to these products as well? I mean, the stigmatization mm-hmm. of the people that I just mentioned is, is a whole other aspect of the offspring as i like to call it of slavery because that's what slavery taught us to do it taught us to label stigmatize and to move on from there i think you're absolutely correct about the you know honest but necessary conversation because it's going on for too long you know now we have a legacy of women doing harm to themselves without knowing it yeah because they're not taking care of themselves properly and your, your, you know, your menstrual health is part of that. Yeah. You know, it's okay to call out, you know, listen, if I had it my way, calling out for menstrual cramps would be covered. 
I'm so serious. Mm-hmm. I never understood why that can't be part of your PTO. See, yeah, part of my sick I days. Absolutely agree. Yeah, and right. It's because the system that we're we're working under in terms of like workers' protection and like mm-hmm. what counts as time off. Even if we look at like maternity leave and things like that, it's very much still deeply entrenched in the idea of this very male workforce. And so yes. these considerations for like paid time off for um, mm-hmm. for cramps and different things like mm-hmm. that that are tied to reproductive health, menstrual health, and things like that um, mm-hmm. are not are not considered um, no at all. No, and it, it affects mm-hmm. it affects women's experiences in the workplace as well. Because of course, it's like, it does. How can I show up fully if I'm not in a health in a healthy place and I'm still here. Yeah, well, so. not only that, let's not forget, right? Let's not forget uh-huh. one of the things slave owners did as a form of intimidation was to sexually assault slaves in front of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they would rape the young girls and, you know, the women. But then they would also, you know, rape the men. Fucking is what they call that. Yes. They took enjoyment in that in different ways. They would also have these babies these little babies, and depending on their skin tone, would define if they would claim them to a degree or not, right? And I think it's important for us to acknowledge that and to say it for what it was. Because the truth is, what we know about slavery is based on what we have found out so far. So far. And I'm saying that because what we found out so far, we're not compliments. The truth is, historically, um, the United States tries to play down how horrible slavery was in this country when we all know it was that bad and it's still being maintained today. And if you felt like that wasn't true, then why are we still marching? Mm. Why? Why is it so unbelievable to have a black female president? Why? Why is it that we have so many white people representing our causes? Why is it, are we so scared to acknowledge black trans lives? Talk to me, Jelena, what do you think? Wow, there's so much to unpack there for sure. Go Um, ahead, pack it on. Yeah, (laughs) I think, I think a lot of this is systemic as well. I think, because as you keep saying a lot of, these issues are tying back to slavery. And I think it's because mm-hmm. slavery is a very um, foundational system in this country. And even when you were giving examples about uh, mm-hmm. shelters and prisons and sex workers, I think the conditions that our country subjects groups of people to are definitely perpetuations of slavery. It's definitely reproductions mm-hmm. of slavery. And I don't think our country, as it is now, could persist without those those perpetuations of slavery because slavery is Correct. very foundational to what it is. And so I think, Correct. I think in terms of why can't we see why can't we see these manifestations of the justice that we're, we've been striving for for centuries? Um, I think it's that very thing: is that these systems that we often have to 
work within or we often have to appeal to to achieve justice have very have right. very violent foundations that first need to be um, uncovered, acknowledged, reconstructed, if if not destroyed, um, before we can truly attain a just environment for ourselves. You know, um, I think mm-hmm. that's why it continues to persist, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that's also why in reproductive health and um, reproductive justice that's why we see such clear parallels as well because like mm-hmm. you said the history of reproduction um is so deeply linked with the history of slavery that these parallels mm-hmm. undoubtedly will show up throughout time even though we like to believe or the united states likes to believe that it is far beyond those things and that you know that is something of the past that is something that has ended when it truly has not ended mm-hmm. at all and also, too, while we're sitting there talking about slavery, because you have to, you have to talk about it, um, let us not forget that sla- that era also, and I, I mean, some folks might know when I say this, but they were actually performing unhealthy and illegal abortions. And this is why the healthy abortions, again, become a big deal. It's a choice. These women, some of these women lost their children, not by choice. Right, they got beaten, the baby got beaten out of them, or you know, other things happened, right? Like they were tortured, they were stressed out to the point they had a miscarriage, or they end up killing their own child out of fear. Mm-hmm. Okay, this all of this constitutes reproductive justice history, right? I just made up that mm-hmm. term, I think, but it's important for us to acknowledge where we came from in order to know where we're going. And that is why when I was first approached for the opportunity to um, work with Yale Bleeds. Now, for those who are somewhat familiar with me, you may say, oh God, right? Yes, I'm known for calling out the white supremacy, but let me tell you something. I actually do have some great comrades in various places and actually quite a few at Yale. And one of the reasons why I will continue to call Yale out is because, not because I'm bored, but because I know that there are a lot of people there who actually want to see this change. And I applaud you all um, at Yale Bleach. Just the name alone, I love the name, I have to tell you, because to me, the um, impact here is profound, right? Mm. Here is an institution that was built on slavery and here are students saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's what we're going to drag up out of our own past. Here's what we're going to talk about. We here at Yale, we're going to talk about this. And we're going to make the change that needs to happen. Right? Yeah. How about some of the projects you guys are working on so folks know a little bit more about where you all are headed? Yes. So... I, I think I kind of said at the beginning that our two main focal points for us have been education and access in terms mm-hmm. of addressing menstrual health and menstrual justice because period poverty is still a huge problem yes, in the country. Um, yes, it is. And, you, you could and think, in this area. And, and, and this in this area. area in New Haven. Let me just say yes. this. I live in New Hallville. It's one of the poorest sections of New Haven. 
there's a lot of um, slave history here, right? Um, and one of the things I'd like to suggest, I hope that when you all do the education and outreach, one of the things that I would love to see Yale do more is actually mm -hmm. come to where the community is. Because mm -hmm. you see, what, what's happening is a lot of you, people wouldn't know. I get the lovely email, so I get to see it. Yeah. But most people don't know about the different educational events. You see, the average person would seem to think that it's just a bunch of rich, pompous students, and they don't care about anything. And that is not true. Let me tell you all. Some of these students have done things that had my jaw like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I told them to do it. I just was like, I didn't think he was really going to do that. <laughs> But also, I've sat across from them, and we've done some amazing work. We've written laws together. We have faced off with the Board of Alders and different mm -hmm. um, lawmakers together. So I know personally that while there are so many who remind us of and carry on that negativity. There's also the Jelinas and the Maddies. You know, I mean, come up, talk about a group of strong women. Let me tell you, when I met with that on that panel, I was in shock. I honestly didn't know what to expect um, because I'm going to the side of the school that I'm like, oh, Lord, I expect to encounter a bunch of uppity, um, one, you know, soon to be lawyers and stuff. Instead, there's a big ass cake, which I, I couldn't get over that. That cake, I looked at the cake and I felt full. <laughs> <laughs> but wait a minute, there was more cake and more cake. And I love that for us, right? I love that the students came in and they sat down. And let me tell you all, it was not what I thought, only because when I was walking up to it and I saw who was walking around, I was like, oh boy, I hope there's at least one other person with me I really didn't know mm -hmm. what to think because while I've had good experiences I've also been the token sometimes yeah. right but 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 wait I sat with you all at Yale Bleeds and I was just like this is amazing it's really great and just so you know um, I mentioned this to some other great students that I know at UConn and they were like that's amazing because they would love to link this work. I think that's friggin' powerful. Imagine having people from different campuses talking to each other about this and just forming. I would love to be part of that. You hear me hinting it. So yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I think we should go in that because, yeah. but, but because that's where we're at, Jelena. We're there. There's no more brushing it under the rug, right? We have more and more students because here's another piece of the reproductive um, justice and the slavery piece that I want us to really marinate on you know gender identity was always a thing mm. it was always a thing however the way that history was written and most of us were taught we were given a book and said okay you're going to praise this person and believe all what's said in these pages and that's yeah. that and from those pages we were told that um, hate things like homosexuality so what people fail to realize, even way back then, believe it or not, there were folks, you know, fighting to be secure in their gender identity, right? They were there, but we don't talk about that, you know, and to this day, those same people are still being discriminated against, still, 
still. It's still happening. And all of that to me comes under this umbrella of reproductive justice. Yeah. Right? Where do you see the reproductive justice movement going? Like looking at what it in fact, wait, before you answer that, hmm. do you feel that considering the work done in reproductive justice and be as honest as you feel comfortable being, do you feel like in 2023, did we really do a lot? Did we progress? That's a great question. Um, I think, I think definitely, I don't think we've done as much i don't think we've achieved i think what i'm trying to say agreed this i this agreeable or this idea of reproductive justice because what i don't want to say is that work hasn't been done because a lot of really important work has been done by very dedicated people but i don't think Mm -hmm. we're anywhere near um achieving reproductive justice as it should be um Mm -hmm. i think one of the critical things that will have to do in order to achieve that is and I love how like you sign off on things with it's a pleasure of being solidarity with you because I think <laughs> solidarity is like a very important you know I'm corny I'm corny no 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 but I love it because I think I think solidarity is like is a key concept because I think an important thing to acknowledge with reproductive justice is how and reproductive injustice on the inverse is how interconnected it is with other forms of justice slash injustice um economic mm-hmm. injustice um environmental injustice um v- racial injustice these are all very deeply intertwined um and i think mm-hmm. that reproductive does it cannot happen in a silo um, mm-hmm. from these other forms of justice because these are communities that are having very intertwined and intersectional struggles and they are being affected um, as well. So like, for example, and I, I, I'm going to bring up Yale and, and the community of New Haven, for example. Oh, Lord. Yale. <laughs> oh, wow. Wait, hold up. Everybody's so surprised. Let me tell you. <laughs> sarcasm, sarcasm. <laughs> Yale is like a huge yeah yeah, a huge perpetrator of economic injustice for example oh oh really (laughs) you know what you know what let me let me check my pressure you you sure (laughs) Yale oh come on on Friday no the nerve (laughs) yes but like even the idea that Yale is not paying its property taxes how much money like like how mm. much money has Yale stolen? Well, in however well, hundreds of tax years. Yale. Tax Yale. Tax <laughs> Yale. And it's like that cannot be that cannot be disentangled from the fact that there is period immense period poverty in New Haven. Um mm-hmm. and like some like that's just one of the examples of the ways that it's it's so internet interconnected with other forms of justice. Well, wait a minute, pause right there. Mm-hmm. Whoa, 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 I gotta give you a minute to acknowledge Yale's role in victim shaming. Because a little known fact about Yale, right? 
See, here's where I get frustrated. Yeah, we know there's a snobby Republican, Trumpet, DeSantis, blah, blah. However, there's actually an increase in population of low to middle income people who are very interested in attending Yale. One of the things I wish New Haven had done, and they could still do it, is get Yale to agree to um, for at least 35 New Haven students to attend for free. When you start doing shit like that, I might start to look at you and say, you know, you could do something. See, because really, the people who are the problem are the ones who maintain the oppression. And we all know capitalism is successful where there is no empathy. Everything I just said there is relative to wealth, right? When you have wealth, you have the privilege not to care. And that's the problem because, you see, traditionally, Yale being an Ivy League school, it became a a house for the rich. That doesn't mean they're smart. I hate to bust the bubble. Shit. <laughs> Fuck wrong with you. The smartest students I met at Yale were the poorest people. Dead ass. Mm. Right? The rich snobby ones. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying it. You're not saying it. Shit. I'll say it. The fucking rich ones, some of them, the, you know, I have met privileged students and they'll come out, they'll say, look, they will lay out the law. It's their, they, they crack me up. Anytime a student from Yale or a facility such as comes up to somebody like me and they start off with a disclaimer, um, I'll give you one. A student, when I was doing menstrual equity, right, and I've known her for a while. She's actually a law student. She's a great person. And she saw me doing the advocacy for the menstrual equity bill. I love her to pieces. This poor chick texts me a whole disclaimer like, I, I you know, um, I would love to advocate for the menstrual equity bill, but... You know, I grew up where I could afford tampons, so I don't want to take the lead. I'm like, yo, calm down. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I appreciated it because she wasn't ashamed to admit her privilege. It was hilarious. I mean, she and I were cracking up. But at the same time, what Yale doesn't tell everybody about is there's actually a decent sized population of working and poor middle-income students who are all here on scholarships Mm -hmm. and they're being treated like shit right they're being treated like shit because they you know they don't have the money the moolah right so they don't have the say but these are some of the smartest people these are the people who are pressing for the change those are the people i work with them right there you see so i think it's great and I, i think that it's really important that people realize Listen to what we're saying. This young lady is talking about menstrual equity at a school, which is historically recognized for being about privilege. You hear Yale, you think privilege. It's Ivy League. So you say to yourself, who the fuck can't afford tampons? Well, guess what? There are students who cannot. They can't. Right? Or they have questions or they have concerns about their reproductive health and they don't have access because it's not just about the tampons either. Not that the tampons aren't significant or the mental health or menstrual equity, but what about the reproductive health? What if I don't want to talk to everybody about my itchy thing? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing. Like people need to know that. Like not all students have private insurance. And so therefore when they come across various life events, that odd period, that sexual 
encounter that mm-hmm. may have gone, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Their options are limited, right? Right. See? Yeah. And there are also other aspects to reproductive justice that I'd like folks to consider, the mental health side, mm-hmm. right? You need to have access to mental wellness. I prefer to say mental wellness, Janelle, because what I'm trying to do with this podcast and with Black and Brown United in Action, we're challenging the narrative. And I feel like the term health in Black and Brown communities is heavily stigmatized. So when you say mental health, the first thing, and this again goes back to slavery, when and I've had this conversation with people that I've marched with, people I've done great things with. But when I say mental health and I say, yo, you know, I talk to a therapist, you should, you know, you ever thought about that? They get very defensive, Mm. very, very, very defensive. Why? Because historically, we were not supposed to have mental health. You're supposed to get fucked up, get beaten, raped, sodomized, you know, tortured, and just grin and bear it. The fact that these people would do some of this shit and then call out other slaves to watch, that's how sick they were. Mm-hmm. And don't sit there and think that women were having babies at hospitals with the proper postpartum care. That's a whole other thing right there. Mm-hmm. Lord knows. Lord knows. A lot of these women were afflicted with depression, anxiety, PTSD, because you just had a baby and now you're bearing a baby into slavery and now you got to live with that. And then you don't even know if you'll get to see your baby into adulthood. Mm. So you see the slavery, the history is there. Yeah. What's your final thoughts on this? Wow. Yeah. I, hmm. I do want to agree with you and just say real quick on that mental health note. Um, Mm-hmm. It's incredibly important. I think there's a, yeah, that's a whole other conversation, but there definitely is a whole a history of abuse within um, the, the, the medical field, which we'll call the medical field of mental health against um, mm-hmm. Black people in terms of, there Absolutely. was running away, like seeking freedom from mm. slavery by running um, mm. was declared a mental illness. Like, I think they mm-hmm. called it uh dropatomania or something like that but it was declared a mental right. illness to seek freedom so i think yeah what you're saying about like the inter like the connections between um mental health reproductive health and and the legacies that we carry with that within the black community um and also how we can seek justice within the black community they're they're very tied together um but yeah i i guess final thoughts on this like take your time no rush here wonderful conversation we've had oh it's not the last one you do know that right yes we're bffs now we're bffs what i will need you to do because i have purple here i'm gonna need you to pick a section (laughs) (laughs) and just go ahead and dye that purple because we we rolling out this is what just so folks know this is not the end of this because our friend here is going to come back and we have more to talk about but continue your thoughts sorry no no you're good um I, I think we, you know, we started this conversation talking about how we started ta- this conversation actually thinking about institutions as well in terms of Yale and, and what yes. we have to do and what it has to answer for, um, but also talking about this very 
foundational institution for this country that has structured the way this country operates that is slavery and mm-hmm. knowing the history of the reproductive oppression and injustice that is founded in slavery and what went on from um, the exploitation of enslaved women's wombs to the exploitation of their bodies as experimental objects um, um, all the way through history with you know histories of forced and coerced sterilization and the targeting of black and brown folks in terms of their reproduction and the commodification of their bodies and different things like that I think for to start it's important to know that history and to be grounded in that history to understand why the current issues we're seeing with reproductive injustice today mm-hmm. are the way they mm-hmm. are and also mm-hmm. including those histories in the mainstream conversations because they are often overshadowed by white middle class interests. Yeah. Girl, talk that talk. Come on now. Y'all, this child came up here to preach, y'all. Don't you all know somebody better start a wave or something. This is this is something. Keep on going, girl. Keep it on. Keep it on. So I, I think <laughs> I think it's important to know these histories for one as ourselves mm. as communities who are advocating to get the resources we need and to guide the conversations that need having. Um, I think it's incredibly important to ground that in the history as well as I think knowing that history gives us the language to then call out exactly what needs to be called out and to know exactly how things ended up the way they are. Um, So on one hand, I think that's important. And I think another thing that's important is building these connections that we're doing right mm-hmm. now, like with making this conversation with the mm-hmm. relationship between um, Black and Brown United and, and Yale Bleed. Um, mm-hmm. I think building those connections, pulling those resources, really like building coalition around these issues mm-hmm. is super important. And I think that's the only way that we can move towards justice is realizing, I think you made an important point about like um, acknowledging privilege where mm-hmm. someone has privilege um but understanding mm-hmm. that, that privilege does not have to stop them from being in action with us um mm-hmm. to work towards justice and to mm-hmm. acknowledging that privilege and then moving towards justice mm-hmm. knowing that that's there because i think it can be it can be a difficult thing you know in terms of whose voices overshadow a conversation right like Mm -hmm. um and whose voices are going to be heard you know it might be more Yale might listen to someone who more privileged whether because of race or class um might be more privy to listen to that person and perhaps that might be a door in but I think it's very important for them at that point for the voices of the people who are most affected by an issue and who historically Mm -hmm. have been borrowed from these conversations to be brought in right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and to be kind of the center focus because we have an understanding we have these lived experiences um, Mm -hmm. pertaining to these injustices that we have endured and experienced and that affect our real lives right and Mm -hmm, so I think mm -hmm. it's important to to build coalition in that way um, as well and Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think those that would be my points to know the history, to ground in that history, to see the way that the history is reflected in our present systems, and then moving forward to build coalition, to rectify mm-hmm. these injustices and respond to these systems and 
completely move towards reproductive justice. So I think yeah, that's amazing. Well, you know what? Um, I know for a fact we're going to continue this. Don't be surprised, y'all, if this becomes a common. We'll figure that out between us. It needs to happen. I would be happy to facilitate, um, you know, a continual conversation on this. So before we, we sign off, Jelena, how about you tell folks how to get in touch with you and Yale Bleeds if they have any questions or want to follow up? Um, yes, of course. So Yale Bleeds, so we are on Instagram is one way you can get in touch. Hey! <laughs> Yale Bleeds. Um, I, oh, I'm on Instagram as well. Um, my Instagram mm-hmm. is jay.sanai. Um, and like, I just, any reproductive justice work that I might be doing would be included on there as well as mm-hmm. actually, um, this is, I, it's so funny. It didn't come up in this conversation, <laughs> but I actually, so, um, a couple years ago, I founded a company and we make, wait, wait, whoa, 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 pause. And how are we just not hearing this part? <laughs> it's crazy. All I was thinking so much about like the broader issues that I I completely missed to say like that's a, you didn't miss it. What it was, well, what had happened was you were waiting to mention it right now. So go right ahead. <laughs> yes, it was it was all part of the plan. <laughs> it was um, all that's right. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so I founded this company called Sinai Botanicals, and it is in my in my bio if you go to the Instagram. Um, but basically, it's so quick quick little here um i'm actually the daughter of jamaican immigrants and i i grew up in south florida hey you know what (laughs) i knew it i knew it go ahead shout out to the west indies go ahead like that part of (laughs) that part of my growing up (laughs) (laughs) you know what you know what i have to say this for your parents and they'll Mm. appreciate top your noise Top, top, <laughs> you know, nice, Jelena. <laughs> Go on now. I'll, <laughs> I'll have to tell them after this. Um, but I mean, yeah, that was like a big part of the way I think about health and healing in general. Like, yes. being in my yes. grandmother's garden, for example, and seeing like all the different herbs and things she was growing, yes. and the remedies. And so, I yes. started this company, um, and we make menstrual teas. And we donate, um, yeah, to kind of help with like cramps, headaches, and different things like that. And we donate um, a part of the profits from the teas um, to kind of fund menstrual access with different organizations. Um, So that is also included in like how you can reach me and different things right now. We are doing a kind of brand reorganization thing right now. So we're on a brief hiatus, but anything Mm -hmm. that we do will be posted um, on the Instagram. So that is something else. And if you didn't write it down, she's going to share it with me and I will include it when I post this. Yes. Right. So don't worry. We strategically work that out there. L O L L O L. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is amazing. And I love the homage to our West Indian roots because yes. I'm a tea person myself. We're, we're all like, I'm talking to you now. I have incense burning. It's all about the energy. Mm-hmm. comes down to the energy you know so much respect for that you know and you know that's a topic by itself because 
here's the thing the reproductive injustice in the west indies that is like yes it's yes. painful it's yeah. painful you know because people don't necessarily acknowledge what happened there like you know one of the things when i migrated from trinidad and tobago to america mm-hmm. that i found interesting was when i was reading about you know american history um back then um i came here with the dream of becoming a lawyer mm-hmm. right because i had another dream that got torn apart and i figured well fine i couldn't reach that one so here we go with this and um what would happen is i would read the constitution and that alongside the way american history is told mm-hmm. would uh, would substantiate why i decided not to pursue law right Mm -hmm. because i couldn't understand why lynching is still legal and i also couldn't understand how you say that you ended slavery but did you really yeah and also you know there's so many things the fact that um they still have it that columbus discovered this damn country come on now jesus yeah you cannot discover something if you were there second or fourth, okay? <laughs> that's, not, that's not how a discovery goes, bro. You were the immigrant, and you are the one that should have been deported. But we're going to talk about that one, too. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> right? Yes, I'm telling you, we have a lot to talk about. This young lady is not done. I'm, and you saw how organically that just went, so I'm not worried about it. Because we're going to dig... Next time she comes around, we're going to dig a little more into what Yale believes is doing in the community and what we would like to see happen, because that's the end goal here. We want to make sure that people see this is something that's starting off, that together we could help launch into something that's amazing and honestly past you. How about that? So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for all that you shared. Um, it was, has been a pleasure, and I, I can't wait till we talk again. Yes, it's a wonderful Elena. conversation. Can't wait to speak with you again. Of course. Well, that's all for now. First up, smile on. This is CJ. Peace.